Ladies and gentlemen, the Dana Buckler Show is made possible by all of our amazing Patreon supporters. We have a lot of big things planned in the immediate future, and this is possible because of the support this show receives. So what do you get when you become a supporter? Early access to episodes, past episodes that are no longer available on the main podcast feed, and a number of exclusive episodes. Sign up today by going to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. There is a link in this episode's show notes. Once again, we want to say thank you to all of our supporters. You are amazing. Now on with the show. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I am pleased to welcome back my good friend, Adam Risky. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me back on, Dana. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming back on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I was just checking. The last time you were on was early August when we did the episode Risky Observations, the summer movie recap. And here we are. It is, uh, as of recording this, it is the 24th of November. And so uh, no time like the present to bring you back. Now, for listeners who haven't checked out the last couple episodes that you were on, I don't get to the movie theater very often. I I tend to only see movies sporadically. But uh, on the flip side of that, Adam, I know you go to the movies quite a bit, and I've always valued your opinion. So I always sort of want to turn to you to find out whether or not this is a movie that I should seek out immediately when it becomes on when it becomes uh, available video on demand, or if it's something that is still in the theater that I should stop what I'm doing and going to see. So thrilled to have you back on. Let's just jump right in. The last time you were on the show, we ended with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we sort of teased the idea that the next movie that was going to be coming out a week later was Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. So Adam. How's Fast yeah. and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw? Well, before I get into that, I just want to preface and say that the as we go through August and September, I'm going to seem like a hater or somebody who doesn't like movies. But those were two really, really bad months. So just bear with me. There were good stuff like come October and November. So I just want to preface it with that because it's going to seem like, oh, this guy just hates everything. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So, um, but yeah, August and, and September were like a real shit show. Um, and Hobbs and Shaw was maybe the worst of all of them. Um, I, grew, I, I, I've been a fan of the Fast and Furious series up until um, Furious 7 was when I was like, okay, it's like the one Jenga piece too many. And then Fate of the Furious was terrible. And Hobbs and Shaw was even worse. It's a representation of everything that's wrong with blockbuster movies right now. Um, it is busy and noisy and stupid and not entertaining and obnoxious. And there's Kevin Hart cameos and there's Ryan Reynolds cameos. And if I knew they were cameoing, I probably wouldn't have seen the movie. <laughs> and now there's a Fast and Furious for Kids animated show on Netflix that's debuting at the end of December. And... I, I don't want any more of this. I want it to stop. <laughs> it, no, I haven't seen the movie. I, I genuinely don't have much interest in seeing it. But I have to ask you, Yeah, is this the final trailer that debuted for this particular film? I felt like after seeing that trailer, I no reason to see the movie. I mean, it looked like it literally gave you the entire film in two and a half minutes. Would you agree? Yes. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So we... it's like a big Super Bowl ad of a movie. <laughs> and those are great for a, a minute. 
but not for two hours plus. Well, according to IMDb, the movie made $750 million, which, let's be fair, oh, good. that's that's not... I mean, that's good. It, the film yeah. probably cost $300 million to make and another $200 million for marketing. So it's not like the grand slam I think they were looking for. But it's enough to ensure that this series is going to continue for a long time. And, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We've come a long way since the original one, which was the high-stakes world of stealing DVD players. Yeah, and those original, that original one and like some of the sequels after that... They were charming and they were fun and like their their heists were modest in scale and it made sense and it was just dumb fun summer entertainment. But this is just like it's way too big now. And if Fast and Furious Nine, which comes out around Memorial Day next year, if it scales back, which I don't know at this point if they even could, um, I would be much more interested in that than if they went to space, which is what <laughs> film Twitter seems to want it to do. It, it's inevitable. It, it's, it's, it has to happen, and it will, because we're dealing with, again, I haven't seen the movie, but I mean, we're dealing with genetically modif- modified supervillains in Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. It's the, it's the logical next step. All right. Moving on. Uh, the next one in on the list here I actually saw. It was Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, Kristen and I did a, re- a little review episode on it. Um, it was interesting while I saw it. It's kind of a movie I've forgotten about until I actually looked at my list. Like, oh, yeah, I, I did see this in the theater. What were your thoughts on Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? I was disappointed. I thought that it could have worked really well as an anthology because that's what the structure of the book series was. And those stories, you know, when I read them as a kid or a teenager, I thought they were they were creepy and fun and just kind of the right thing that you want at that age. And the movie, for whatever reason, I felt like by having kind of a, a linear plot, it did the the spirit of the series a bit of a disservice. And it was a weird structure. And then um, there were a few kind of creepy images in there like the kind of overweight you know ghoul that like you know inhales uh, one of the kids like i thought that sequence was good but for the most part it's just very kind of self serious and there's like all these vietnam allegories and i don't know if you're if you're making a movie for teenagers in 2019 like what are they gonna get out of that it just was a really kind of strange movie that to your point, it hasn't really stuck with me much, but when I look back on it in my head just now, yeah, it just is this weird thing that I, I can't make heads and tails of. Uh, global box office for this one was $92 million. I can't imagine this film had a huge budget, but that's got to be a disappointment given that the uh, the IP or the property surrounding the, the film was uh, something that was pretty beloved for a lot of people so that's that's interesting Uh, i don't know if the you know you mentioned the anthology thing to me this this struck me as something that would have been better served as a sort of a netflix series you know 20 minute standalone like you said oh absolutely yeah that would have been terrific and like i think uh it would have been really popular if it came out like in october as that type of a series on netflix uh next one this one actually surprised me as far as it it's i think it came out one weekend and then it was gone and that is dora and the lost city of gold did you see this one 
No. Nope. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Global box office, 100 million. All right. So the next one I've got on my list is The Art of Racing in the Rain. Yeah, I saw that piece of shit. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about this film? Because I see it's got Kevin Costner in it and... Um, made $32 million on a global box office. So what's this movie even about? Yeah, this movie felt like it was made by like clean flicks or one of those companies <laughs> that like, like takes out all of the offensive parts. It's very weird. And, uh, Kevin Costner's who's my favorite actor is voicing a dog. And like, he's got like this smoker tenor to his voice but he's speaking as if he's looking at things in life through the dog's point of view. So it's very weird. And um, it's like you expect, you know, it's a movie about the lifespan of a dog. You expect it to be kind of cloying and sentimental. But this one like really goes for the jugular with like people dying of brain cancer and like custody battles. And it's not just enough to have a dog. <laughs> it's very <laughs> depressing and it's like perfectly made for watching on like a United airline. <laughs> it's like really it, like I saw it in theaters and I thought it was like at times it had moments that kind of worked, but then like the moment the movie ended, you felt like super manipulated and like why nothing to do with the movie. And then when I was coming back home from a work trip recently, I saw that it was playing on my plane and I couldn't believe the movie still existed. <laughs> like, I know that's how movies work. Like right. they always exist, but like I couldn't for the life of me understand like how this was still a thing. This is something you saw theatrically or did you watch it VOD? I watched it theatrically because okay. I, I got to support Mr. Costner. Yes, yes. Now, was it a crowded movie theater when you saw it that you recall? Uh, yeah, but it was like one of those theaters that sat like 30 people. Sure. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a rough time at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> the, now, the next one I have on the list. Now, this is going to be an interesting one for me because I went to see this... Let's see. This was released. Let's see. The release date was August 14th. Um, this was still playing in the theater just a few weeks ago. And I went to go see it just because I was in the mood to laugh. And it's been a long time since I've walked out of a movie that wasn't related to some kind of disturbance that was happening in the theater, but actually the movie itself. And that is Good Boys. And I'm wondering, and I'll, I'll share a little bit about my thoughts on the film, but I'm wondering if you've seen the film and uh, what your thoughts are on the film. Uh, I did not see it, but I'm curious what your, obviously you didn't like it, but I'm curious what your, your, your take on it was. My take on it was that it was, you look at the pedigree of the people that are behind it. You know, they say it's you know Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, you know, the, the, the crew behind Superbad and, and, and all of that. The problem I had was twofold. One, uh, I think the jokes, it, it reminded me a lot of movie. You remember the movie Sausage Party where yeah. it was like they were swearing for the sake of swearing and it just wasn't landing. I, I don't know if you were a fan of that film or not. I wasn't. I thought it was just. No, I, I felt the same way that you do about it. I thought it was like a bunch of junior high school kids wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this one, it was really like, like the shock of having kids in the sixth grade use that kind of language and stuff like that uh, wears off after the first two minutes because it never stops. And mm -hmm. the other issue I had was, 
and I, I mean this in the nicest way, but when you watch a movie like Superbad, you, you, you got Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill. They have charisma for days. You know, they're characters you're really, you, you're, you're interested in their journey. Uh, unfortunately for me, the, the young actors in this one, they didn't, they, they, there was sort of no charisma. They, they weren't very likable. I think is the what I was trying to say. And I, I made it through about 35 minutes of this movie and I was like, I, I have to go. I mean, this was not, mm. it was not a good movie in my opinion. Yeah, I good things about it from people, but the thing that prevented me from going was sort of similar to what you were saying. Like, I, it's like, okay, they're kids who swear. I lived through that. I'm not in junior high anymore. So what am I going to get out of it? So that, at least with Superbad, where they were in high school, you know, like the situations, I guess, are a little bit more mature. If it, Superbad isn't like necessarily like a mature movie, but I feel like it has some things to say about friendship. And I think that Good Boys to me, and again, and I haven't seen the movie, it just felt like a copy of a copy or like a secondhand store version of super bad. So, and also I saw book smart, like just a few months earlier. So it's like how many more of these like friendship movies for teenagers that are, I'm, and I'm no longer a teenager. Do I need to see in one summer? So that's kind of why I avoided it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, for me, like if I want to get nostalgic, I'll watch stand by me. You know, as far as because the kids are roughly about this supposed to be about the same age or, or maybe a year older and stand by me. And I just thought that, again, this one was just like, OK, I get it. We're swearing. And then the subject matter just it, honestly, I got a little uncomfortable watching the movie. I was like, should I even be laughing at this? These are kids in the sixth grade. Like, I, I think I might just want to get the hell out of here. Like it was that yeah. kind of that un uncomfortableness. Whereas I suppose with Superbad, it wasn't that way. Next one on the list. Uh, I'm feeling like this is the this is going to be the episode where I've actually seen a, a number of the films that you're going to discuss this year. But I did go to the movies quite a bit in August. Um, okay. Re Ready or not, had a great time with that film. See that global box office was only 48 million. That, that's a little bit disappointing because I thought this was a really fun movie. What did you think of Ready or Not? Uh, this is the first time that I can remember that you and I like really disagree on one. Okay. Uh, I yeah, I mean, and I I, I don't want to dump on the movie because obviously you enjoy it and and everything, but just I liked um, Samara Weaving, and that was about it. I thought she was like in a class above everything else in the movie, and everything else in the movie felt like a hundred other indie horror movies that I've seen that are made for the hipster crowd. And it's, I don't know. I felt like it was a complete, uh, just milk toast version of what you could do with that premise. So I really didn't enjoy it at all, except for Samara Weaving's performance. And for me, it was her performance. It was enough for me to say, yeah, I really enjoyed this film. It reminded me a lot of your next which I thought was, which I think is a better film than this one. But mm -hmm. I did have a lot of fun with this movie because, again, look, we're talking about ninety minutes, gets in, gets out, does its job, and uh, like I think, I think we all kind of, you said it perfectly, like sort of cookie cutter. You know, we've seen this story told a few different times. I really liked her performance, and uh, I thought the ending really went for it. So you know, I enjoyed it. That's good. Yeah, I uh, I liked your next a lot more, and I think that was in my head so much that it prevented me from 
getting having this one be out of its shadow uh next one on my list is it chapter two i skipped this one for one reason and one reason only and that is the two hour and 45 minute runtime. can you talk a little bit about it chapter two yeah um so i am a fan of the first one um i like the actors in it a lot i thought the child actors did a really good job and um i thought that the movie felt uh you know it had that nostalgic feel because it was set in 1989 and um it was the the horror elements the scary elements the jump scares all that stuff was actually the least interesting part of that movie for me because i think in both the first it and the second it they telegraph it way too much. Like everything is too big in terms of the scare sequences. Either there's like this, you know, really loud score that comes with it. That, that sort of like, I don't know, takes all the tension away. It just like is jumping out at you as opposed to like letting you kind of have it sink into you. Um, and it chapter two was more, plot and less character and the stuff that i liked about the first one was the characters and i wasn't as interested in just seeing the plot kind of run its course um so i was pretty disappointed with it chapter two i don't think it's like terrible or anything but i'd have to i wouldn't say it's anything better than just okay and yeah the two hour 40 minutes you really feel it that that was gonna be my question right there is do you feel that runtime uh yeah this is something that I will definitely wait for to come out on on VOD to where I can, you know, hit pause, take a break if I need to, because that's just that's just a long time. You know, that's OK. Uh, did you see Hustlers? I did. OK. Tell me about Hustlers. Um, Hustlers is kind of like. Remember the movie Blow? How yeah. that was like trying to be Goodfellas kind of in style, but it felt like an imitator version. Yeah. So Hustlers kind of is in the same school as that one. Um, I think that Jennifer Lopez is good in it. Um, that's probably the best part of the movie. The movie itself, I think, is, I don't know, it's an interesting story, but for whatever reason, while it was playing out, it felt very repetitive. Um and I think that, uh, and I don't usually like to do this, but I thought that um, the lead actress, other than Jennifer Lopez, um, I'm drawing a blank on her name, but she she was on Fresh Off the Boat, and she was Constance Wu. She was from Crazy Rich Asians. I thought she was a lot better in Crazy Rich Asians than she was here. Um, I thought she was kind of flat as the lead, and she's in basically every scene, which is a problem. So um, I saw it in a theater in Los Angeles. Um, everybody else in the theater seemed to really like it. I didn't. I thought it was just kind of generic and safe for a movie that's supposed to be kind of raunchy and kind of wild. So, um, yeah, I, didn't, I, I, I was disappointed with Hustlers. The next one on the list is Ad Aster. Now, this one, when the marketing for this film was all about the buzz around, this is the movie, this is the movie of the year, everyone needs to see this, the performances are top-notch. And it was on my, I will call it my short list of, if I was going to go to a movie that weekend, I would go see it. But I never got around to seeing it. What's Ad Aster like? Uh, it's good. Um, I saw it in IMAX, which I think helped. Um, 
the it's sort of become a cliche that every fall we get a space movie that's in IMAX <laughs> and it's about somebody's father, even though it's originally about space. Um, so it's sort of like this own little subgenre. Um, the thing I liked about Ad Astra is right at the beginning it goes, yeah, it's about the father. And then because you've got a two hour movie, it expands from there and like different things happen. And it's not where you finish the movie on where it's all about like, Oh, it's not aliens. It's like the ghost of my deceased dad. So I, I appreciated that. I like that along the way it's quiet. It's kind of meditative. It like lets you kind of have your mind wander and you just enjoy the visuals, but then out of nowhere, it'll get really weird. So there's like a sequence where there's like, they're driving rovers on the moon. And then all of a sudden, like people are shooting at them and they're just like, what are they? And they're like, they're moon pirates. And then it's just like, Oh, I didn't know this was a movie with moon pirates (laughs) or it's like, you're just watching it and they're like in a capsule. And then out of nowhere, there's like floating baboons and the baboons are pissed. And it's just like, Oh, I didn't know this was going to be in this movie. So, um, I liked it because the movie was constantly surprising me and keeping me on its toes. Um, I think that it's a movie that people who really kind of hone in on logic in movies are going to hate because even me, like who's a pretty forgiving person logic wise with movies, like there's stuff in here that's just like complete nonsense where it's like, he goes from Earth to Neptune, but it seems like he does it in like a week and a half. And I'm like, I think it would take longer than that. <laughs> so, I mean, there's certain things like that, but um, it's a very uh, kind of odd, idiosyncratic movie, which I wasn't expecting because I was expecting kind of the formula space movie. Gotcha. Now, the next one on my list. I'm going to use a, a a film reference here. The next one is the closest I've ever come to seeing a movie without actually seeing the movie. Now, do you remember in Ocean's Eleven when Elliot Gould is explaining the three times that uh, a, a casino was almost robbed and he just goes through those little flashbacks? This is sure. this is sort of my my situation. It's a Sunday night. It is in uh, October. Uh, the movie came out. September 20th. I'm talking about Rambo Last Blood. The movie had been out for a couple weeks. One Sunday night, I decide to go see the movie. I get there. I don't, I leave my phone in my car. I don't buy the ticket on my phone because I just don't, I just don't want to be disturbed. I don't want to be bothered. So I leave the phone in my car and I walk up to the box office and I got 20 minutes before the movie's supposed to start. And I've got this older couple in front of me and they're asking questions about who's in this movie and what's this one about? Like that cliche where, you know, the guy's saying, well, you want to go see the space movie talking about Ad Astra? And and then the other guy, the lady's like, well, I want to see the Joker movie. And he's like the Batman movie. And I'm just losing my mind because they only have one person selling tickets. I mean, this is classic Dana movie theater rant stuff here. This is something I experienced. So I finally get up to the box office. I buy my ticket. I get in line for concessions. There's a guy in front of me with a little kid, and he's asking about all the different beers that they're now serving, which thanks for serving beer at the movie theater now because you're just causing more delays for the single person that's working concessions. He wants to know the price of every specific craft beer and where the beers are from and what type of tasting notes he should expect. 
He's asking an 18-year-old young man who probably knows nothing. This is going on for 20 minutes. I have to skip the concession line. I'm very upset. I walk into the auditorium. I round the corner. And I. it looked like a high school field trip was sitting in the auditorium. And I just said, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I just walked out and left. So that being said, I have yet to see Rambo Last Blood. How is that movie? You're not missing much. Um, it's very short and about an hour and 10 minutes of it or so are basically just like fridging Rambo. So like he's picked up from the events at the end of the last Rambo movie from 2008 and he's kind of living the quiet life and he sort of has adopted this family um, like a grandmother and a teenage girl and then the teenage girl gets taken so obviously Rambo is like now it's like the Liam Neeson thing and taken um, and he's going to like retrieve the girl and then after that whole thing plays out it just is about 20 minutes of kind of insanely violent carnage in like these underground tunnels that Stallone has built onto his property and it's not like the worst thing in the world, but I, I, it's really forgettable and it's a pretty bad Rambo movie considering that I, I really liked where they left off with Rambo at the end of the last one where he just returns home and he's going to like kind of have a reunion with his father. And it's sort of like it represents, you know, he went away to Vietnam and he's been to help and back and now he's back and he's going to have kind of like this solace and this peaceful life and that's where i want to see that story end because at the end of this one and i'm not giving anything away it just completely undermines everything that happened at the end of the fourth one so i preferred the ending for that one to the new one so um i disliked it a little bit more just because of that because it took away the ending that i liked one of the things that and i liked the was it 2008 was that when the last yeah. okay i i liked that film but i'm curious yeah. the one thing that sort of took me out of that movie was it the the use of the cgi blood is that prevalent in this one or do you think they use a little bit more practical squib effects in this movie it's hard to tell because a lot of the violence is in these underground tunnels and it's dark okay. so if i'm I'm remembering right, I think it was kind of more of the same. Okay. All right. Curious. All right. Very okay. Uh, next one on the list is going to be Joker. I've seen the movie, and my official stance is I really enjoyed the film, and I never want to see it again. I agree with you on the second part. I didn't really enjoy it, it although I do think that it's well made in a lot of ways and I respect it and I appreciate that it's trying something. Um, I think my biggest, I had two kind of complaints about the movie. One is that it it's, there's really no reason for it to be a Joker movie or a movie like in the Batman universe. And I obviously understand like then it's just taxi driver, yeah. but I feel like the movie more organically just feels like about a person who's like criminally insane. Or, and mentally ill than about him becoming the Joker. Um, and then also, um, it's so bleak that um, I was on one hand impressed with them really going for it, but on the other, I just felt 
really bad and I wanted it to end. Um, there's a few scenes that I thought like were really actually pretty scary. Um, uh, one involving like a talk show and one involving like two of his past coworkers, like in his apartments and stuff. And I, like Joaquin Phoenix really goes for it. I think it's a tremendous performance. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a really tough movie to for for me to get through. And uh, yeah, I don't really have much interest in revisiting it anytime soon. And I want to amend what I said by saying I really enjoyed the film. I was thoroughly disturbed watching the movie from beginning, middle, end. Uh, I'm glad I've seen it. I'm glad that I watched the movie. I was super uncomfortable in a lot of scenes, the two you mentioned. And, you know, even when he makes his stand-up debut on the open mic night, like even that, like I was just uncomfortable. That's, yeah. That speaks to his performance. And uh, I, I mean, again, you're right. It, it's Taxi Driver if you take the Batman out of it. And I don't think it's by mistake that De Niro is in the film. Like I just said that, that, that can't just be a coincidence that, Hey, De Niro's in the film in this movie. Very, very much as an homage to taxi driver. Yeah. I think it wears its influences on its sleeve, like with taxi driver and the King of comedy. It's just with De Niro, it's just a role reversal of his character from King of comedy. Now he's playing the Jerry Lewis talk show hosts. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like I give them a lot of credit for, trying to shake up a superhero movie and do something different with it. Uh, even if it didn't work for me, um, I saw it pretty late in its run. I saw it maybe like a month after it came out. Um, and I do have a slight theater story for it. Please. So, um, it was during one of the more disturbing scenes in the movie. And then like people just started to like walk in and stand kind of in that hallway before you go up the stairs to like get to the seats. And that made me so uncomfortable because it's like they show, they would show up for, and this happened during like two different scenes. It happened during um, the apartment scene and it happened during the scene where he's like dancing on down the stairs. And during both of those scenes, I was just like, are they going to like try something in here? Do I have to get ready to like defend myself? <laughs> I'm like, are these like Joker, you know, super fans who have like seen this movie like a dozen times and are like just coming for the greatest hits? Like what is going on? <laughs> so that was like very, very unsettling to me while I was watching the movie. I was talking to Kristen because her and I saw the movie together. We did an episode on it. And one of the things we were talking about when we left the theater was how many people in our audience were laughing at things that we felt weren't funny? Did you experience that in your, th in your screening? There weren't many people when I went, so I didn't have that. No. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cause it was just sort of, well, I mean, I mean, you understand what I mean? Like there was, there were scenes yeah. where he's going through some real mental anguish and I, people were laughing and I, I think they thought that was supposed to be funny. It was, it was, it was an uncomfortable experience. Let me just emphasize that. And maybe when I say, I don't want to see it again, maybe I don't want to see it with a, a group of strangers again. Maybe I will sit down and dissect the movie at home when it comes out VOD. Yeah. I, I got a question for you though. Like one thing that was kind of bugging me with the movie itself was I felt like he was a little bit too lucid about his problems in a way where, cause he I, like 
there's a speech that he gives like during that talk show sequence and he's kind of explaining why he is the way that he is. And I feel like if he's just like insane, he wouldn't also be so like introspective (laughs) at the same time. So I don't know that kind of didn't really work for me. I thought that that was a little hammy. Well, the movie, the movie has made, more than a billion dollars globally, $60 million budget, give or take, uh, that by all accounts, an extremely profitable and successful film, even, and probably I think the most successful R-rated film of all time by this point, they're going to make another one. I'm of the mindset that this should be left alone. I agree. Uh, Yeah, I think like it, it was intended as like a standalone movie and just due to financial success, they're talking about, you know, bringing back Joaquin Phoenix and developing a second one. But I don't know what's I, I don't see the point in it, really. And um, I think it's pretty fascinating that this movie was so continued. Like, I get it having like a big opening and then like, you know, being popular for, you know, a few weeks. But this is like it's still like in the top 10 and like it's doing really well still. And. I'm just fascinated how this struck such a chord for people and like they didn't think that it's more people didn't think like that it's just unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. And and I will say this. I hope the studios will take a look at the fact that this was a, you know, a a mid tier budget film R rated that made a lot of money and take a few more chances with those type of films. I mean, I know this had to be tied to the Batman universe, but I think everyone going into the film, or the majority of the people going to the film, knew they weren't going to see a Batman movie. They, I, I certainly knew that Batman wasn't going to be in the film, or at least I, that was the strong assumption I had going into the film. Yeah, and I, I and uh, Warner Brothers distributed the movie, and I give them credit for, um, you know, this is a tentpole movie. This is the one where they like make a lot of money and profit, and it helps subsidize all the kind of smaller movies the mid-tier adult dramas like motherless brooklyn or the goldfinch and stuff like that that like don't make a lot of money uh so i appreciate that the joker at least wasn't hobbs and shaw where it's like making all this money for the studio but it's like providing no nutritional value (laughs) so i appreciate that that joker was wildly successful and trying something even if i didn't really enjoy it absolutely uh next one on the list this movie i keep it keeps showing up everywhere is like this is the movie to see parasite have you seen it i did it's terrific can you talk so, um, talk a little, just a little bit about you know your thoughts on the film i mean is it what do you think i mean it's got a 96 metascore which you know metascore 96 metascore that's that probably means 100 percent rotten tomatoes hmm yeah, it's um, so the it's made by Bong Joon Ho, who is a Korean director, and he um, he did a lot of really good movies like The Host and Snowpiercer, and his most recent movie was Okja, which was on Netflix. I don't think that one's particularly all that great, but Snowpiercer and The Host are amazing, and um, Parasite I think is even better. Um, it's like so many things all in one movie it's this dark comedy like kind of about about class um sort of like an upstairs downstairs type of thing then it just evolves into something kind of with much 
darker undertones. And some of the one of the pleasures of a Bong Joon Ho movie is that he, he's just a great storyteller. So like this is a the there's tonal shifts in this movie that if it was in the hands of a lesser director, it would feel like really discombobulating, but in this one, it feels very natural and it feels like very um, uh, just kind of deep and insightful in ways that you're not expecting at the beginning, which is pretty light. Um, so I was a really, really big fan of it. I think it's it's one of the best movies I've seen this year for sure. Okay, well, that's pretty high praise right there because I know you've seen a couple good ones this year. All right, so next on the list is The Lighthouse. Have you seen that? I did. I didn't really care for it all that much, um, but I know a lot of people really like it. Um, so I think it's more just a personal preference type of issue that I have. Um, the movie is shot in black and white. It's got like a full frame representation. So they're really going for kind of like that old, like almost like a silent movie feel. Um, and I, this comes from Robert Eggers, who did The Witch. That's kind of how he made his, you know, made his stamp. Um, I like The Witch a lot. I thought The Lighthouse was sort of, I don't know, just like it didn't, it didn't hook me. There was nothing like necessarily bad about it, but I just never got really interested in the story. It's very much about kind of like two men who go delirious from isolation. Um, they're both like in a lighthouse ashore, an island, um, and there's a storm, so they can't get off the island. And both of them have, um, you know, problems, uh, whether it be them kind of hiding dark secrets or they're just aggravating to be around. And then the two of them just sort of like lock horns, and there's a lot of alcohol involved and everything. And um, I thought the the movie was well made um the pacing was a little bit too slow for me which sometimes isn't a problem but in this case i just felt like it was kind of dragging and um i was much more interested in the willem dafoe character um who's the supporting character and uh then robert pattinson who's the lead i i just haven't been able to get on the robert pattinson bandwagon yet i i feel like he's a a bit of an overactor, so um <laughs> I don't know, but I know that he's he's kind of like an indie darling at the moment. The next one on my list is this will be the first time since 1991 that I have not made an effort to see a Terminator film in the theater. Recent article I read that came out yesterday or the day before was that Tim Miller is still processing the colossal failure that is Terminator Dark Fate, and he is uh, quoted, although it sounds like maybe out of context that he said he would never work with James Cameron again, uh, that the two uh, had several creative issues. From what I've heard about James Cameron, he is a uh, my way or the highway type guy. So I thought it was a little surprising that Tim Miller was even brought on to direct the film, but that's a conversation for a completely different episode. My question to you is, what did you think of Terminator Dark Fate? I Well, first I have a theater story. Please. Um, so... I was running late for my screening of Terminator Dark Fate. It started at like 4.30 and I got to the theater at 4.45. So I knew that I had like very little time um, before the previews ended and the actual movie started. So um, I go to my AMC. I have my ticket already on my phone and I just need somebody to scan it so I can go in the theater. So um, I get to the theater and I basically like run inside. And there's a really long line to get tickets scanned. 
which is fine. But the line wasn't moving and the line was just getting longer. And the guy at the ticket stand just was like looking around confused because I guess like his scanner wasn't working. Oh no. So I went, so I looked at the, at the ticket counter where like you buy the tickets and like nobody was there. So I was just like, okay. So I looked around for anybody who looked like they worked there and I saw one guy and he had a scanner and I said, hi, um, sorry to bother you. I'm running late for this movie. Could you do me a favor and just scan this really quick so I don't have to wait in line? And then he goes, sir, it's going to be a couple minutes and like you're going to have to wait in line. <laughs> so, And then he just walked away. So I was kind of pissed and obviously like whatever i mean like i was being entitled but like i didn't care so like i so i was kind of pissed off and um i saw that he turned his back so then i just ran past him <laughs> and went into the theater <laughs> now you know when the ushers come in and just do the theater check uh, every once in a while someone will come in and just walk up the stairs and walk down did that happen and if so did you feel like you know they're on to you no, because um, this is like a theater with 20 screens and there's 10 upstairs and 10 downstairs. And this was one of them where like there was upstairs theaters and mine was in the upstairs theaters. So I just ran past him and started running up the stairs like T-1000 style. And in my head, it was like the Terminator theme. And like he would have had to like be the roadrunner to catch me. <laughs> okay. That being said. Yeah. What did you think of the movie itself? Uh, the first 30 minutes or so are pretty good. And I was tricked into being like, oh, okay, this is going to be a good Terminator movie for once since 1991. Um, and it doesn't keep up the momentum. It falls into like the blockbuster trappings pretty quickly. Um, there's one character who's sort of the Arnold Schwarzenegger T2 stand-in. Um, played by Mackenzie Davis, who I think is a really good actress, and she her character is pretty interesting. Um, Linda Hamilton is fine, although some of it just kind of feels very fanservice-y because you know she hasn't been in a movie in a really long time, and then she's back for this. Um, the Schwarzenegger stuff is kind of just as forgettable as it has been since Terminator Three. Um, the action is a little bit better than. The other ones, except when it falls into all the CGI stuff that happens in like the last half of the movie. Um, so I was disappointed, although I would say it's like the best sequel since T2, but that's kind of faint praise. So you would go, would you go as far to say that the movie is watchable? It's watchable. It's not good. Okay. All right. Interesting. A couple of weeks ago, I listened to Edward Norton on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he got into quite specifics, quite a few specifics about the new movie that he's directed, Motherless Brooklyn. Have you seen it? I have. Yeah. Okay. What are your thoughts on it? I know it's got a long running time, but uh, what are your thoughts? I liked it. Um, it was very old fashioned and pretty low key for a 2019 movie. It's not like really... Um, I don't know, it moves at a slow pace and it's all about like this mystery kind of un unraveling. So it felt very literary and it's based off of a book. So um, I appreciated that from, from, I appreciated it from that standpoint. Um, it's about 
you know, a guy who's got Tourette's or a, an affliction similar to Tourette's and he's a private investigator um, and he works out of this office of private investigators run by Bruce Willis. And the thing that I liked the most about the movie was there's a lot of the first act of the movie before Edward Norton kind of sets off on his own, where it's just him and the other private investigators sort of helping each other with their cases. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, it's got a lot of good performances. Um, pretty much in every scene is like a character actor that you recognize from something and that you like. Um, I thought Norton did a good job uh, with the with directing it and also acting in the movie. Um, so it's not like something you need to rush out to see, but if it was on a streaming service or on cable, I think it's definitely worth your time. We got a few more here. Uh, Doctor Sleep. I am. I'm I'm thinking about maybe going to see that tonight. What do you think? It's good. Um, so that is Doctor Sleep was directed by uh, Mike Flanagan, who uh, is best known probably for the Haunting of Hill House series on Netflix, and then he also directed a few good movies like um, Oculus and the way better than it should be a Ouija sequel uh, that Blumhouse did a few years ago. Um, and Doctor Sleep is. Uh, I think as its own story outside of the shining aspect of it, I think is terrific. Um, it's got some really interesting, you know, character development for the Danny Torrance character that Ewan McGregor plays. Um, and I think the villain played by Rebecca, Rebecca Ferguson is really sensational. Um, and the, the movie uh, has like a, that great Stephen King kind of castle rock you know, vibe to it. So I really enjoyed it from that standpoint. Um, I think all the elements with the shining are a little less successful, but they're not bad at all. Um, so as a whole, um, the movie feels pretty epic. Um, it's also like two and a half hours long, but, um, it doesn't feel that way in like a punishing way. It just feels like, you know, you're watching, you know, kind of a meal of a movie. Um, so I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I don't think it's really scary. Um, it, doesn't it's not as good as the shining of course but um for what it could have been i think it's a really solid movie okay all right excellent last christmas let's talk about this for a little bit because the i only saw one trailer in the theater and it had a number of george michael songs playing throughout the trailer and i'm i guess that was supposed to be the selling point at the end it said with music by george michael did you happen to see last christmas i saw 30 minutes of it okay. i walked i was the only this is the only time so i've walked out of movies before i think this is the only time i've ever walked out of a movie where i was the only one in the theater <laughs> it's not good at all like i like Amelia Clark. Um, I've never seen her in a movie that I've liked, but I've always liked her in movies. Um, <laughs> I, she just has a bad streak um, of movies where she's the lead. It's like this Terminator Genesis, me before you. I mean, it's just like uh, she needs to get a new agent or something. The The movie is wall to wall George Michael songs. Um, Last Christmas is the name of you know one of his songs. They play that nonstop of the portion of the movie that I saw uh, Amelia Clark is like a retail worker in a Christmas store that's open all year. And she used to be really good at her job, but then like for, you know, because of events, 
that the movie goes into detail on that I won't get into here. Um, she's sort of a slacker now and she doesn't care about anything. And then, um, I don't know the thing that was bugging me the most about the movie. And it's almost the, re- the, the reason why I left the movie was just cause I was bored out of my mind. But the, the reason why I almost left the movie was for the first 45 minutes of the movie, she's walking around with a roller bag and I just couldn't look at it anymore. <laughs> like I just couldn't like, cause she's set up to be like this woman who's very, she's just like a party girl and she has a lot of one night stands and she's like moved out of her parents' house and stuff like that. So she's taking the roller bag with her everywhere. So she's like going from like, you know, one night stand to one night stand from her parents' place to the one night stand from work to the one night stand to the bar to the just walking around town and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like store that bag somewhere. <laughs> like I can't look at this roller bag anymore. <laughs> it's insane. Um, the movie was directed by Paul Feig, who I think should stop making movies because he made Bridesmaids and that was really good. And he's made some good TV shows. But man, did, I don't get. It. Did he direct think, the Heat? Is that the Sandra Bullock, Melissa McCarthy? With Peter, did he direct that one? He directed all these movies that people have tricked themselves into thinking are good, like The Heat and Spy. And then he directed the Ghostbusters movie yes. from twenty sixteen. They're so bad. He he has no idea how to direct a good comedy, in my opinion. But the last Christmas is like, I don't know. I gave it my heart and the very next day I took it away. <laughs> if I remember correctly, the heat, I saw that in the theater. If there was one really laugh out loud moment for me it would have been when Melissa McCarthy takes Sandra Bullock to the family house and the family's around the, the, the dinner table. I thought that was a pretty funny scene, but that's, yeah, that's about yeah. it. All right. So last Christmas is not on my list here. Let's end this on a good note. All right. Uh, um, Today is Sunday, November 24th. In three days, the Martin Scorsese directed film The Irishman makes its debut on Netflix. I know you've seen the movie. It is easily one of my most anticipated films of the year. I am excited to watch this. I will watch it Thanksgiving night. Uh, I will try to make my living room the most optimum theater setting as possible because I didn't get a chance to see this theatrically. Having said all that... What did you think of The Irishman? I thought it was really, really good. Um, not a surprise because, you know, it's a Martin Scorsese movie with De Niro, Pesci and Pacino. But uh, it's um, it's very it's different than some of their other previous collaborations because it's a little bit more slow and um, they're trying things that I won't give away. They're trying things with the movie with its expansive length that they didn't really do in the other films. Um, this one's a little bit more, I don't know. They, the way I'll describe it is like in Goodfellas or Casino, it's like, there's always like music to it, whether it be like actual music where there's like kind of a music flow to the, to the film itself. It's just kind of how it moves. This one's, you know, the sound drops out sometimes and like you're just supposed to kind of be still and sit with it for a while. And it's really effective when when they're doing that. Um, I think all the performances are great. Joe Pesci especially is just phenomenal. And um, De Niro is really, really terrific in it. And Pacino is like very blustery and very charismatic also. Um, The three and a half hour length, it definitely feels three and a half hours long. So when I saw it in a theater and there was no intermission, I was 
kind of struggling a little bit, but that's not like me saying that the movie was slow or bad. It's just, you know, I'm not used to that. Um, with, you know, a three and a half hour movie without an intermission, like I can't handle three, but your movie internal clock is a little stressed with, you know, uh, you know, a 210 minute movie. Um, but, uh, it's phenomenal. It's really good. And, um, if you have Netflix, then you should definitely watch it, but not on your phone. Try to watch it on the biggest TV possible. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Adam, before we go, we've got a couple movies that are coming out here in the next uh, next little bit. I, I have to ask you, do you even buy into any of the, you know, I watch a lot of YouTube, a lot of YouTube videos in, in the morning when I have my coffee. I'll admit to being a little addicted to it. And I get a lot of suggested videos about the troubled production that is Star Wars Episode Nine. Do you buy into any of that nonsense? About it being a troubled production? Or yes, about- that they've shot multiple endings and that, you know, they've just, they had Lucas involvement and they decided to go a different direction and just, you know, just basically a lot of clickbait videos and review, uh, clickbait videos and, and articles. Do you buy into any of that or are you just pretty confident that JJ is going to close this out on a good note? Yeah, I mean, like, I like JJ Abrams more than most people do um so i tend to just kind of trust that he'll put together an entertaining movie for me um i'm not i'm a big star wars fan but i'm not like too super precious with it so like i like the last jedi even if i didn't you know love of all the ways that the plot developed in it um i was just like okay well that's a choice and it's up to me if i like it or don't and most of them i'm okay with um so you know, I, I get the pressure that Disney and I guess J.J. Abrams are under to make this sort of, you know, a course correction from like the decisions in The Last Jedi that a lot of people didn't like. And maybe that's what this talk is about, like kind of retooling the ending. But when I hear like reshoots in this sense, you know, I, I just want to see the movie. I don't know. I mean, like if it's if it results in a better movie, then. You know, I'm pro reshoots. Sure. So, yeah, I am. Uh, I've already got my tickets. December twenty second. Yeah, I'm yeah, good. I do too. IMAX non uh, a non 3D version of the film. So, yeah, it really seems like lately that the uh, the 3D thing has kind of died down a little bit. Wouldn't you? Not, would you agree? Like we're not really yeah. pushing for that so much anymore. Yeah, they seem to only keep it for like a gimmick movie like Gemini man or like a Disney animated movie. Yeah. I think they're starting to realize that you can still put something in IMAX and people will pay the extra three bucks and you don't have to give them glasses. You know, like I, I noticed that like when the force awakens came out back in 2015, I wanted to see it IMAX best possible sound, but it was nothing but 3d showings. And then a couple of years later, when the last Jedi came out, they had, they had it sprinkled throughout the day, IMAX 3D, then non-3D, then 3D. And from what I understood, the non-3D sold better than the 3D. And I think it's just kind of like like people will pay a little bit extra for better picture and better sound. And you don't have to shoehorn in the 3D. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that they're sort of grasping at theater owners are sort of grasping at straws of like, you know, what will get people to come out to see a movie. And um 3d obviously was like you know in the wake of avatar that was like the first thing that they were trying and then it evolved to 
you know, IMAX being in every theater and then it was the Dolby theater and then it was stadium seating with recliners and yeah. everything and, or like them serving you food in the theater. And honestly, the, and I don't mean to sound like, you know, wiser than them. I'm sure they're like, you know, there's reasons why they're making these decisions, but Part of the issue for me is that, okay, for example, I've got that subscription plan with like AMC, but unlike when I was growing up, every AMC now looks the exact same. So I feel like I'm watching a movie at the grocery store. Like there's no, like, and that's one of the reasons why I don't feel like going to the movies as much as I used to. And that sounds crazy because obviously, you know, I just read off a list of like dozens of movies I've seen, but, um, you know, like there used to be some variety to the experience. And now it's like, I, you have to get over the hurdle. It's like, do I want to see motherless Brooklyn? And also do I want to be inside of an AMC, which is like, to me about as pleasing as being inside of a Toyota matrix. (laughs) I want to close this out by saying (laughs) that you've heard me talk about the theater chain Epic, Epic theaters. Yeah. Okay. So I'm so happy to announce that, They broke ground about a year ago on a big multiplex theater here in town, and nobody could get the skinny on who the brand was. And it turns out that it's going to be Epic Theater. So I'm so happy to announce that there's going to be one in my town. And they don't have a lot of these things, so I'm super excited about that. So I'm really excited. Good. So I'm happy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's going to be awesome. So I may go see the movies. That make, I may, I can't imagine anything will go wrong if I start going to the movies more often. I just can't, can't, can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. uh, Adam, if people want to follow you on social media and uh, want to keep up with the work you're doing at F This Movie, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter at Risky Adam um, or at F This Movie, which is the letter F thismovie.com. Um, I write reviews, uh, articles and such weekly. Um, and then I'm on the podcast uh, every once in a while, usually every month or so. So um, you can find me there. Awesome. Excellent. And if people want to follow this show on social media, you can do it, do so on Twitter at Dana Buckler show. You can do it on Instagram at the Dana Buckler show. You can go to the website, the Dana Buckler show.com and you can email me with questions or comments at the Dana Buckler show at gmail.com. Adam, thank you. As always, I always appreciate all the insight that you bring into, uh, into these discussions. You're welcome. And I'm sorry that I was such a downer on this episode. I just didn't really <laughs> like very many movies for about two and a half months. No, uh, well, we're getting into the, uh, it's, it's Oscar season now. So when we do an end of the year recap, you know, when we'll sort of, I'll probably have you put together a little top 10. I know you're doing that already for F this movie, but, uh, I'll be curious to see what the uh, month of December looks like for you at the theater. So uh, thanks for being on the show and we'll definitely talk soon. All right. Thank you. And my name is Dana Buckler and thank you so much for listening.